Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Well, we are in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. I invite you to open your Bibles there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, we have one there in the pew you can utilize. We have been in this text, this is our third week, because Peter has been telling us that we are responsible to be the guardians of the truth and stand for the truth in trying times. And there are trying times where truth is on the scaffold. Truth is on the chopping block in our nation. It has and is this hatred of the truth, this denial of God's words, fundamental truths even down to nature's law that God instituted in creation, are under attack today. And it is time that the church recognizes once again we must be the ones who will stand for truth. We are the stewards of God's truth that's contained in the Word of God. And Peter has told us in order to do that, we've got to be saved. We've got to know God personally through Jesus Christ and be forgiven of our sins. And then in chapter 1, he also said not only that, but you've got to have assurance of that. You've got to have assurance of your salvation, and we dealt with that. And then now he talks about the, the very pages of the Bible, the pages of Scripture. And he tells us how we have this wonderful Word of God and how it comes to us and what it is about. And today we continue that because next week we're going to get into chapter 2 where he says, but there were false teachers, false prophets, and there are false teachers today and there always will be. And we're going to begin to deal with some of those false teachers. So I want to read to you once again verses 19 through 21 of the first chapter. We have also a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When I was growing up in church, there was a little song 
that we learned in vacation Bible school. And it went something like this. Holy Bible, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. And we would walk down the aisle during Bible school and carry the flags. Remember that? And up front would be the one who would carry the Bible. And they'd stand right here in the middle and hold the Bible out. And we'd say our pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. Those were grand and good days, weren't they? Little Billy Baptist would always hold that Bible. And if Billy Baptist didn't do it, little Betty Baptist would do it. And we'd say our pledge allegiance to the Word of God. There was another song that we would sing, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Never did I think when I was a child in a Christian home and in a, a, a Baptist church that I understand the somber truths of that song. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. Well, today, I believe our young people and the, the millennials or whatever you want to call them, they're just people. They're people who who know the Lord, and many of them need the Lord. But they're not standing alone on the Word of God. There's so much out there. And in days to come, we're going to be talking about that from chapter 2. I uh, shared with our staff what I would be preaching on in the weeks to come in chapter 2 and played a little video for them that we're going to show you next week. And... Um, I told them this, I, I said, I pray that this troubles our people. I pray we will be troubled by what we see on that video because it's just not an isolated video. It is one that is representative of all that's out there today. And we'll be dealing with that beginning next week in chapter 2. But today, we want to finish up our exposition of verses 19 through 21. And I want to talk to you about the sure word, part three. Well, in the church these days, the church at large these days, we have many who are ignorant of what the Bible teaches. They don't know it about practical things. And I think all of us, if we are honest, would admit we are ignorant of the Bible. I know I am. There's always more to learn, more of God's truth to learn. But we live in that day. Somebody once said, uh, you know, I, don't, uh, I can't understand uh, this translation. Well, you know, in the last two decades, there have been translations upon translations, modern, tra and we're more ignorant of Scripture than we ever have been. Isn't that something? It is not a reading problem. It's a diligence problem. Also in the church today, there's an indifference toward what the Bible teaches. Some don't care to know what it says. They just don't care to know what it says. They don't want to stand alone on the Word of God. It's easier to put one foot on the Bible and another foot somewhere else. 
and stand on two authorities. And whichever one's easier is where you'll put your weight, where you'll shift your weight. But another horrendous thing is in the church at large today, we are in a time where people are ignoring what the Bible teaches. Totally ignoring about the people. Don't, they, it's not that they don't know it, but they know it, but don't want it. Did you know in the last couple of years I have had two couples in my study, in my office, over different issues literally say to me, we don't care what the Bible says. We're going to live this way anyway. We just do not care. Well, why did you come to me? Why did you come to me? Well, we want some help. Well, very sad, isn't it? I tried to help them. You know, what you do in that situation, folks, is you tell them what the Bible says and trust the Holy Spirit to do His work. That's all you can do. Well, I pray that these things are not you. I do not think they are for the most part. I certainly pray these things are not me. I pray it will be none of us at all. And it certainly does not have to be that we would be ignorant of the Bible, that we would always, we need to always be learning the Scriptures for the practical daily issues of life so that we might glorify God in the minutes of our day. I pray it is not you that are indifferent to the Word of God. I pray it will never be me. I pray it's not me. And certainly to not ignore the Word of God. So today I want to talk to you basically from this text and it deals with how we received this book. How this book, what God did to give us this book. Now, there is an important factor that I think we always need to pay attention to. And there's times and there's places for it. And that is called apologetics, a defense of the faith. I believe that apologetics are of the utmost importance these days. And there's many different approaches to apologetics, learning how to defend the faith. And there's books and there's courses and free courses and there's internet websites. Answers in Genesis is one of them. Apologia is another one of them. Uh, you can find all kinds of wonderful material to help you defend the faith and, and, and defend uh, your stand on, on the Word of God. But today, as a preacher, I'm not going to defend the Bible. We're just going to declare the Bible. And we're going to declare what the Bible says about itself because that's where you need to start. And this is one of the most definitive and wonderful texts of Scripture. The old apostle Peter writes to us. And if you remember earlier in chapter 1, he said, I'm doing my best before I die to help you remember the doctrines of our faith. You remember that? And I'm, I believe what he was talking about was his epistle of 2 Peter. He'd already written 1 Peter. And so we're going to talk today about what the Bible says about itself. And when we're born again and the Holy Spirit resides in us, 
That's where Peter is starting with. If you look at verse 20, he says, Knowing this. This is a present tense verb. Always knowing this. Always recognizing this. Always applying this. Always having this knowledge about what the Word of God is. Do not forget it and do not forsake it. He gives us three truths about the Bible. Three truths that the Bible speaks of about itself that I want to talk about today that are within this text. And first of all is we need to know and continue to know about the importance of the Bible. Know the importance of the Bible. Now you know there's a thousand ways that we could talk about the importance of the Bible. We can go all the way back to the beginning of our country and talk about how the Bible formed our constitution in form of government. We could talk about the national sins of our country and how the Bible helped us overcome some of them and how there's some left to overcome. But what I want to do is just highlight just a general way how it is important, the Bible, the importance of the Bible. Notice he says in verse 20, knowing this first. Knowing this first. And so Peter takes us to the laboratory that has the microscope. And he has us look in the microscope at this word first. And we see a proton. The fundamental elemental particle of all that is. That is the Greek word first. It is the Greek word proton. We get our word proton from it. And it means the very fundamental essence, the fundamental particle of all that is. And what Peter is telling us is he is saying to us, in terms of your growth and your strength spiritually, he says you have to go to elementary school. And the elementary school will teach you that it all begins and its foundation and the very first particle is the Word of God. The fundamental truths of the Bible. It's the nature of the Bible, what the Bible is. The Word of God, God's inspired Word. You have to understand what He says here, what He tells us about the Word of God. And if you understand this first, you get this down, you can live with confidence, and you can live with courage, and you can live with strength, and you can stand for truth in trying times if you are firmly fixed on exactly the first truth is that the Bible is God's Word. And all that that phrase, God's Word, implies and teaches and puts upon us. And you can stand with conviction in trying times. It's the most fundamental thing we must teach. When I sit down with somebody who's lost and they want to hear about being saved, one of the first questions I ask them is, do you believe the Bible is God's Word? Do you believe the Bible is God's Word? And you know what? I've never had someone say no.
I believe people believe the Bible's God's word, at least down here. Now, I hadn't been to other places a lot of times. But thank God, He prepares the hearts of people to hear the gospel and gives them a conviction that they believe the Bible is God's word. You know, the first place, the first time I ever ran into somebody who didn't believe that the Bible was God's word was in seminary. A professor in the seminary didn't believe the Bible was God's word. They believed some of it was God's word, you know. In other words, some of it's inspired in spots, and the liberal professor is inspired to spot the spots and then tells us about the spots. Well, that's the first time I ever ran to somebody who didn't believe the Bible. Man, I was nonplussed. I didn't know what to do. So I just kept on believing the Bible. So know the importance of the Bible. It's the very first and fundamental fact that you need to know. Second of all, know the initiation of the Bible. He says in these verses, Knowing this first, the proton, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture uh, is of any private interpretation. The initiation of the Bible. Now let's break this down to exactly what this means. Do you know that there are dozens and dozens interpretations of what that phrase means? And many of those dozens have sub-interpretations. So let's begin. Number one. No, I'm not. But I'm going to tell you what three of them are. What three of the understandings are about what it means that no scripture is of any private interpretation. But before I give you those three, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you get to interpret the Bible like you want to interpret the Bible. There are some rules that you have to follow in terms of interpretation. There's rules of grammar. There's rules of math, and there's also rules of, for understanding the Scripture that you have to follow. But first of all, there are some that would say that the interpretation is um, some matter of you getting to say what the Bible means to you. Now, we hear this all the time. People will say, well, what does this text of Scripture mean to you? What does it mean to you? Or they'll stand up and say in a discussion group, say, well, this verse means this to me. Well, let me tell you something. I will never, if I ever do, you need to, uh, you need to correct me and you need to say, preacher, that's not the right question. But I pray I will never slip of the tongue. You know, maybe if I run from the nursery to here to get church started real quick, I might... I might cut off oxygen to my brain or something and mess up, but, uh, you know, Cole, you stepped into this. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, won't, I, I, I won't tell you, I will never ask you, what does this Bible verse mean to you? Now, it's not because I don't care, or it's not because I'm arrogant, it's not because I'm being rude, but I will tell you what, if I'm ever discussing a verse, I know what it means. 
because it means the same thing that it meant when Peter wrote it. It means the same thing that it meant to Moses when he wrote the first five books of the Bible. When Samuel wrote the Old Testament books that he wrote. When David wrote his Psalms. When Proverbs was written by Saul. It means the same exact thing that it meant to them. And it meant to the original readers. There is only one meaning in all of Scripture. Exactly what was said and exactly what was meant when it was written. That's why it's written. Amen? Now, there are many applications. I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, a brand new century we're in. We're not in the first century. We're, we're not back there. We're not in the B.C. days. So the application may be a little bit different, but the meaning and the principle and the truth of it is always the same. Forever thy word is settled in heaven. It always means what it always has meant and always will mean. So, it doesn't mean that. Another is that Peter is saying that you have to interpret Scripture with Scripture in order to rightly interpret Scripture. In other words, you can't take one verse or one text out of the Bible and formulate an interpretation of it and an understanding of it without consulting the rest of the Bible. That is 100% true. When you read the Bible and you, and you need to interpret a text or find out what, what the author means, you, you need to go through all the scriptures. You need to get... Look, most Bibles will have a, a, a margin or in the middle, a column, a, a reference guide, cross-references, and you go back and forth with those cross-references, get you a good uh, concordance or, a, or a, a topical Bible or something like that that helps you go to where the, that theme or that doctrine is talked about, and, and it helps you develop that. That is certainly true. You cannot isolate a text of Scripture by itself and have a solid interpretation. That is 100% accurate. And by the way, if you're reading a Bible verse and it's obscure and it's difficult, but some are, aren't they? Some are. And uh, you read that and you get some interpretation or read somebody's interpretation. If it conflicts with something that is not as difficult and causes trouble with another text, then your interpretation is in the wrong. The Bible is a unified book, but you have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And by the way, if you're a reader of commentaries and, uh, and, and you read all, the, all these commentaries and blogs and all that, let me tell you something. The Bible sheds a lot of light on what the commentaries say. They really do. And remember, you can read the Scriptures if you're saved, and the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. But the key is obeying what you know before He gives you extra truth, truth beyond that from His Word. And so, uh, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture, very true and sound, but that's not what Peter is saying here. That's uh, for another verse, another day. What Peter is talking about, the third thing is, 
is he's talking about in this context the origin of Scripture. And it's very pertinent for today, Cole, Jay. This is the firing line today. What did God do to give us the Bible? And I will tell you, He's not doing it anymore. We have a completed Bible. He's talking about the origin of the Bible. Let's break it down. No prophecy. Remember, He's dealing with false teachers who are denying the Word of God, especially the doctrine of the second coming, as we will see in weeks to come. So he speaks of prophecy, referring to the Old Testament. And he says, no prophecy, no Old Testament scriptures, nothing that Matthew wrote, nothing, and he, he, he had some of Paul's letters, nothing that Paul wrote. He said, no prophecy of scripture, the written word of God, here the word of God, is of any private pertaining to oneself interpretation. It means to loose or set it free. But the key word in all of this are the smallest words in the verse. Let me read it to you. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Is of are the two most important words to understanding what this... Isn't it amazing that the littlest words of the Bible sometimes are the most important in understanding a text? Huh? Isn't that interesting? Well, is of is one word, and it is the Greek word genomai, and it means to begin, to come into existence. And so what Peter says is not one word of God's word has come to us from the beginning of any private citizen. It did not come to us and have its origin in anybody's particular private fancy. In other words, not one word of the Bible originated or had its origin and its beginning with any man, whether it be Moses, whether it be Paul, whether it be old Matthew, whether it be Peter himself. Not one word of God's Word, the Bible, originated in the heart or the mind of a man. There's nobody in history that got up one day and said, hmm, I think I'll speak God's Word today. Now, they might get up and tell you a lie, but I want to tell you the reality of God's Word, the real God's Word, tells us that it originated with God. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets among the people. Well, I want to read to you a couple things about those false prophets. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can. I want to read something from Jeremiah chapter 23. I love the prophet Jeremiah. And I want to take you to his 23rd chapter in verse 16. And notice this. He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not. This is Jeremiah 23, verse 16. I hear the Bible page. That's the greatest compliment you can pay a preacher is to have your Bible pages moving. All right, you ready? Hearken. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. 
They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. You ever heard that phrase, follow your own heart? Well, that's what the false prophets did in the Old Testament. Huh? They, they get their approach to God from Disney. But God said these false prophets, what were they doing? They were following their own heart, speaking visions of their own heart, what popped into their whole being. And he says, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace. In other words, to people who are in rebellion against God and despise God, these false prophets are saying, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walks after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. In other words, you're not facing judgment. Everything's going to be fine. And then skip down to verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not fill heaven and earth. Do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And God says, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Isn't that an amazing thing? Folks, the last thing you want in the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs, is Mike Barnett's heart. Last thing you want at the lectern in your Sunday school class is your Sunday school teacher's heart. You know what you want? You want their brain that's attuned to the Word of God and speaking what God has said in His Word. Go over to Ezekiel. Oh, Ezekiel chapter... Let's see, chapter 13. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, that's what Ezekiel said. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Well, that's what God says about those who fabricate their private interpretations. He says none of it is from God. So we better be careful and just preach the Bible verse by verse like it's written. Teach the Bible, and you know what? We won't go wrong. We won't go wrong. God help me. And if I ever stand up here and say, in my opinion, I want you to rebuke me. Now, if I say it right there, it's okay. Because you're going to tell me yours. But I want to tell you what, we need to stick with God's Word. So know not only the importance of the Bible, 
not only know the initiation of the Bible, it comes from God Himself, the Word of God. But lastly, know the inspiration of the Bible back in 2 Peter. But rather, instead of, of prophets speaking of their own heart, rather what happened was, is the Bible says, holy men of God, verse 21, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but God came and gave us His Word. Men do not seek God, so He has to come and give it to us. And in His grace, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of inspiration. God inspired His Word. The human authors of the Bible spoke as they were moved. The word moved is the word Pharaoh, Pharaoh, it means to be carried along. Luke uses this word to describe the wind filling, filling a sail to move a ship across the sea. And it is, used, uh, it is used twice and translated differently in this verse. Came at any time by the will of God, but men were moved. That same word. They were filled with the breath of of the Spirit of God, and they spoke God's Word, and it was written down by them, penned by them, down by them. It's what we call the inspiration of the Scriptures, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is how God's Word came to us, and you need to know this first. This is God's Word, inspired words, and those words were written. Now, God, when He inspired these words and used these human authors, it's an amazing thing. He did not forfeit or put on the shelf their personalities. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't alter their culture or cancel their culture out. He just used these men to pen the Scriptures and their personalities come out. Luke, the medical doctor, it's an amazing thing, the terms that he uses, the medical terms he uses. You read Luke and you see a lot of his focus is on women and children. He was a medical doctor. Matthew is uh, uh, very precise. What was Matthew before the Lord saved him? He was a tax collector. This time of year he would have been very busy. But God saved him and he put his pencil down and followed Jesus and and, and used him. He was, he was a, a Jewish man, and God focused on him on writing to the Jews. And then you have young Mark, who was a young man, and he writes quick and fast and all that. He never got winded, Cole. He was fast. And his main word is immediately or straightway. And the king, God used their personality. He used the genius of Paul to write his epistles and give arguments for the truth of God. He needed a country preacher to go from the south to the north. And he used Amos, the country preacher. I love Amos. He needed a man who would weep and mourn for his country and had a sensitive spirit, so he raised up a Jeremiah and used him, the weeping prophet. He needed a mystic who would be able to pin down the revelation 
and tell us of the deep things of God. So he had a John. He used their personalities. He didn't forfeit them. You say, well, was inspiration mechanical dictation? Was it, was it uh, did God just use them as robots? Absolutely not. Now, some of the Bible's written that way. Ten Commandments are written that way. That's God's own finger. But for the most part, the Bible is inspired in a very remarkable way. The Bible says, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, his last letter. It's amazing. Paul's about uh, to be executed for his faith. And he writes a letter to his young preacher who he's mentoring, Timothy. And he writes about the Word of God. And he says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And verse 17 says that the man of God, that's you if you're saved, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. You want to do a good deed? You can go on a mission trip and do a good deed. You can do good deeds in the church, but I want to tell you something. In order for to do a good deed, to do good works, you need to know your Bible. You need to be in tune with the Word of God so you know what a good deed is. I think sometimes we do a lot in the name of Jesus that really aren't good, need, good deeds. We, we do some good things, but you know what? The Lions Club can do the same thing. Amen? The Seroptimus Club can do the same thing. A motivational speaker can do the same thing. I want to tell you what, we need to know what God says is a good work. And the Word of God teaches us that. We'll be hearing about that in weeks to come. But I want to tell you what, all Scripture. This verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, teaches us that the overall way in which God inspired the Word is called the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. Let me give that to you again. Verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. He starts off with that word all. That is the Greek word pasa, and it means every part of the whole. There's not one part of the whole Bible that's not inspired by God. And it is done so verbally, the very word of Scripture. All Scripture. Pasa grafe is the, Hebrew, the Greek. It is the graph, the grammar the verbiage of Scripture, the Word of God. Now, today is this whole idea of inspiration of purpose. That's a liberal idea. It's far from what God says. God says it's the very words of the Bible that are inspired. What is written, the pages of Scripture. Second, it is plenary, all, every part of the whole. And third, it is inspiration. The Greek word is theonoustos, God breathed. It is the God breathed book that he gave us, the pages and words of Holy Scripture. But notice he says it is profitable. Everybody wants to make a profit these days, don't they? Huh? Everybody needs a profit, needs to make a profit. Well, let me share with you what the Word of God is profitable for. It's profitable, first of all, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
and for instruction in righteousness. You know what that is for you and me? This is what it is. Doctrine, that's what is right. You want to do what is right? You want to know what is right? Study the Bible's doctrine. And then reproof, that's what is not right. You want to know what's not right? You want to teach your children what's not right? You better, because I want to tell you what's going to happen outside the walls of your home and outside the walls of your church today, more so than ever before, your children are being told that what's not right is right. So you need to know doctrine and reproof for your children. You need to know it. Reproof is what's not right. Correction, what is that? Well, that's how to get right. That tells you how to get it right. And then instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right. Well, that's the Word of God. Isn't that wonderful? Word of God is all we need. Well, what about this? Well, if you don't believe what the Bible says about itself, you won't believe the Bible, period. You won't. And ask God to help you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Put it to the test and see what God says, what God does. Let me give you the logic of the Bible. You ready for the logic of the Bible? If the Bible is God's Word, and it is, according to what it says about itself, period. You know, I thought about saying the Bible, you know, the Bible says it, and I believe it, that settles it. Well, that's, that's so arrogant. Let me tell you, the Bible says it, that settles it, whether Mike Barnett believes it or not. Right? It doesn't matter what you think or what I think. It's what God says. So if the Bible is God's Word, it must be inspired. If the Bible is inspired, and it is, it must be inerrant, without error. Now, I know today uh, the battle cry is, follow the science, follow the science. Well, we've been following the science for a couple of years. Huh? And I'm not going to get into that. Sure wish I had time. But I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible is not a scientific book, but when it speaks to science, it does so accurately. And it does so with precision. And uh, I don't believe the, the, that science uh, contradicts the Bible. Men contradict the Bible. The devil contradicts the Bible. Pure science, when it comes to its end, I want to tell you what, will be in 100% agreement with the inerrant Word of God. It will be. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have to address the issue of global warming. Isn't that going to be something? You mean, preacher, you're going to take a Sunday morning and you're going to preach on global warming? Well, kind of. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a Sunday morning when we get into chapter 2 and 3 in Second Peter, and we're going to see what Peter says about global warming. Huh? You say, the Bible speak to that? That's science. Well, the Bible has something to say about it. Global warming says... That man's going to, you know, what we're doing with our trucks and cars and all that stuff. And even our cows are tearing up the environment and everything else. Isn't that something? We've got to go green. Go green. Go green. Well, you know, we've got to take care of our, uh, our land and our waters. We certainly do. We're stewards of that. But I want to tell you what God says in His Word in many places you really think that you can destroy this planet? I created it. I'm going to be the one to destroy it. Amen? 
So go throw your straws away and go back to that plastic straw. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Don't be afraid to throw bottled water away. An empty bottle, plastic bottle. The Bible is inerrant. No errors in this book. In the original autographs, there are some translation issues. That's why we have many translations. That we, why we have scholars who know Hebrew and Greek and, and the languages the, uh, of the Bible that the Bible was originally written in. Christ honoring, God honoring, Bible honoring scholarship that helps us understand what the text says in terms of translation. And then the Bible, is in, if it's inerrant, it must be infallible. Infallible means it will never lead you wrong in any situation. It will always give you guidance in the particulars. Inerrancy is the general. Infallibility is the particulars. If the Bible is infallible, it must be preserved. God has preserved His Word. Get you a good book on the preservation of Scripture. And then... If it is preserved, it must be necessary. It is necessary to know the heart of God. It is necessary to know what He says about the issues of life. It is necessary to know about what it says, how we know Him through Christ. If it is necessary, the Bible must be clear, understandable. This is where the devil has deceived many a good Christian people who want to know God from the Word. He has taught... He has somehow influenced them that you can't understand the Bible. Years ago, a buddy of mine called me up and said, Hey, I'm having a Bible conference, and I want you to come preach on, at this Bible conference. And uh, I said, Okay. And he said, I got a theme for you. And I said, All right, what's my theme? He said, You need to preach on the perspicuity of Scripture. The perspicuity of Scripture. I said, Man, I'll do it. I love that subject. And I hung up the phone and thought, what in the world is the perspicuity of Scripture? No, I didn't do that. I just said, okay. You know what the perspicuity of Scripture means? It can be understood. It's clear. Why do they use such big words? Why don't they just say the clarity of Scripture? Or how clear it is. It's clear. You can understand it. Don't you tell me that God sent His Son to die on the cross for you, resurrected Him, cleansed you of your sin, got away every barrier that keeps you from knowing Him, gave you a book that many a men and women through the centuries have died for, and preserved His Word, and put, the moment you were saved, He put the author of this book that breathe these words into existence in your heart. Don't you tell me you can't understand the Scriptures. You can. Just be diligent and ask God to help you. He's the author. Isn't that wonderful? He's the author. And if it is clear, then it must be sufficient. Sufficient. That's the greatest battle that we face today in the churches is the sufficiency of Scripture, that it is enough for our needs. That's why we have people who hop from one place to another. They go from here to there, pillar to post, 
and, and, and they do not understand it is the sufficiency of Scripture. Find you a Bible-preaching church, plant there, stay there, serve there, use your gift there, and let the Word of God be sufficient in your life. And it will be. It is sufficient. And if it is sufficient, it must be authoritative. It must be authoritative. The authority for our lives, the sole authority for our lives, our behavior, our action, our church. What saith the Lord? And when the Bible doesn't speak to something in particular, find a principle to live by that the Bible teaches, and God will honor it. And if it is authoritative, we are responsible to know it. We are responsible to know it, read it, and study it. I want to tell you something, folks. You need to be a student of the Word of God in these days. Daily, opening up the pages of your Bible somewhere in your house and read it. Spend some time in it. Systematically read it and pray. Be a prayer warrior. Let that time develop. And I know that's... Uh, I know that's a difficult thing to do. I want to share with you a little testimony how God blessed me. There's a couple of weeks. My wife doesn't even know about this. But a couple of weeks ago, I had been with a couple of families that were in a sad way. And I was really, I was really down. I was discouraged. It was one of those days that, that not much was going on and uh, at the church. It was quiet and secretaries in their offices. And, you know, it was just one of those. You ever have one of those days where you just think, my goodness, you know? And uh, I, I got discouraged. I was really hurting for those families. And then a fiery dart of the devil's started flying into my brain. And one of them kind of put it in my head, your people don't listen to you. They, they don't like, they, they don't listen to you. You know, you, you think they do, but they're not interested in being encouraged by you to be students of God's Word. They, they're busy. So they just tolerate what you say. You might want to just kind of calm down on that. And uh, I got down. I'm serious. I got discouraged. I should have prayed and gone to the Word of God and let it remind me that no, the Word of God never returns void. Should have called one or two of you and just said, Hey, man, let's, you know, pray together. Go have a cup of coffee or something. But I want to tell you what I did. I got in the truck and I went to Hart's Fried Chicken. <laughs> That's why Miss Tracy doesn't know about this. <laughs> That's a couple of weeks ago. You ever get discouraged like that? And you want to go get... Miserable. So that's why I was all by myself. Nobody would go to lunch with me. I, I, I couldn't. I, I, 
I couldn't take anybody. I was, I was all alone. I was down, devil telling me that stuff. So I went to Hart's Fried Chicken. And I ate. I didn't like the desserts, so I ate some more. I'm serious, that's what I did. And I got up to leave, and I went to the door, and one of our former church members, who's moved on, walked in. He was passing through. He said, Dr. Mike, I've been meaning to write you or call you. He said, I, I'm so glad I ran into you. He said, i got to tell you something. He said, when I started coming to First Baptist, he said, I didn't have any kind of commitment. And this was some years ago. He said, I didn't have any kind of commitment to learning the Bible outside of coming to church. He said, I didn't read it. I didn't have a prayer life. I acted like I did. But he said, I didn't have any of that. And he said, you always encourage us and tell us we need to be in the Word of God. And he said, so I want you to know I started. And it was hard. He said it was hard to get up in the morning and do that. He said, I struggled. And I felt like a second-class Christian. It was hard. I'd read a verse or two and my mind would get to wondering. And he said, I'd start praying and all, my, and, and, and all of a sudden thoughts would be popping in my head that was trying to distract me. He said, it was, it was something. And he said, one day in your preaching said, you, gotta, you don't need to be a racehorse, you need to be a plow horse. And I thought, did I really say that? <laughs> Sounds pretty good, don't it? You need to pull a plow. It's not a, it's not a marathon, Amen. And he said, man, I just stayed with it. And he said, you know what? He said, I go to bed anticipating my mornings now. And he said, I get up and I'm in the Word of God and I love it. He said, it's a highlight of my day. Spend time in God's Word. He said, man, I just can't get enough of it. And he said, ere long, I, I, it, you know, it's time to go. And I'm so disappointed I don't have any more time. And he said, and that was you that taught me that. Man, I want to tell you something. I went across the street to Sonic to celebrate. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I was going to go get me one of them Oreo shakes, you know. <laughs> oh, I want to tell you something. The Word of God will never return void, folks. In preaching, in preaching, but also in you, in your life, it'll always have an effect. It'll always come up when it needs to come up. It'll always fire off when you need to fire off. The Word of God, it's God's Word. Read it. Study it. Stand on it in these trying times at work, at school, in your family. Just put God's Word out there and God will honor it and bless it. It is what makes us wise unto salvation. How to live the Christian life. The man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's the Word of God. I pray that be your commitment today. Let's stand for our song of appeal.
Let's bow our heads and pray. Well, I just pray you'd be encouraged. And I commit myself to read the Bible daily, just just the scriptures, and learn it and study it and ponder it and pray. And I commit myself and keep my to keep that discipline in my life and be diligent about it. And I'm asking you to do the same. Would you commit to that today? It'll make you a stronger Christian. Make you stronger in His power and might. And it'll bless you and warm your heart. It'll bless you. This morning I read about Hannah, how she prayed. And I thought, God, you answer our prayers. What a wonderful thing. All that she went through, God, you heard her pray. I just had to put it down and just thank the God that He hears our prayers. It'll strengthen you. And it may seem that you are just wasting your time and doing your best to concentrate it so hard. Well, that will get better. That'll get better, but I want to tell you what, it's never a waste of time. One day, one day God will bring it to your mind and use it. Every word of it. Every word of it. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.